for Thursday, May 6th, 2021. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE, answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, herd immunity to the coronavirus. We can reach it by getting people vaccinated or by letting people get infected. We are going to achieve this number whether we want to or not. It's more of a question of how many people get sick and die along the way. Justin Lessler, an epidemiologist at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, joins me to discuss the value of herd immunity as a end goal in the pandemic. That's next. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. Politicians and public health officials have frequently talked about the pandemic ending when the U.S. reaches herd immunity. But the term has a specific meaning that's slightly different from the way it's often used. And Justin Lessler, an epidemiologist at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, says it's a goal we'll reach regardless of any public health intervention. He's with me now to dive into what the term actually means and how to really understand it in the context of the pandemic. Justin, thanks for talking with me. My pleasure. So let's start just really basically here. People have probably heard this term herd immunity thrown around a lot over the course of the pandemic. What does herd immunity actually mean? So there's what it actually means and there's what people use it for. And, um, you know, and I actually like the the term community immunity better than herd immunity because I think it's a little more accurate way to think about it. But What it really means, let's start there, is it's the indirect protection you get because people around you are immune. You can think of it as the virus is trying to get to you through paths of people who can be infected. And as people become immune, the virus loses a way to get to you and infect you. So that indirect protection you get because other people are protected, that is herd immunity or community immunity. And you said there's the definition and then there's actually how people use it. So how do people actually use that term and how is that different? So people usually use it to refer to the critical immunity threshold or the herd immunity threshold, this point where if the disease is introduced into the population, it's unlikely and probably not going to cause uh, any large outbreaks or epidemics. Another way to think of it is that the average person who's infected is 
infecting less than one other person. They're failing to replace themselves in the population of infected people. To be technical, it's when what we call the reproductive number as epidemiologists goes below one. But all that means is that most people who are infected, you know, aren't infecting another person. And then the idea is that as that plays out over time, if you, one infected person, aren't replacing yourself with someone else, then just the level of community affection eventually reaches zero? Yeah, that's exactly right. If infections aren't replacing themselves, the epidemic starts to recede and eventually you'll get no cases. The reason we call it herd immunity or herd protection is because of this idea that if you're in that state, if the disease is introduced into your, your population, if, you know, somebody like, you know, let's say we get to zero and then somebody from a plane from another country comes in and, you know, reintroduces COVID into your city, then if you have that level of protection, then that person will not spark an epidemic. How prior to the pandemic would someone like yourself have discussed herd immunity? Maybe give me an example of a disease or maybe a situation in which this is a a concept that people are paying attention to. So we really talked about it mostly in terms of vaccination. You know, how much vaccination do we need to get into a population to make them be protected from a disease or to eliminate the disease locally. So sometimes this herd immunity threshold, we call it the critical vaccination threshold for this reason that it's really um, usually thought about around vaccination. So for instance, I've done a lot of work on measles and measles is incredibly transmissible. It's you know many times more transmissible than COVID is. And to get to um, a point where you have this herd protection for measles, you have to get around uh, 95%, 93%, 95% of the population successfully vaccinated to have that protection. So that's where we really think about it. Like how strong do our vaccination programs have to be in order to control disease? And it was, I think, only in 2019 that we saw a number of notable measles outbreaks Yeah, and this gets to why I think that it's important to think of this as a continuum, not as a single critical number. I mean, that single critical number is important, but if you have more immunity in your population than the herd immunity threshold, you're even more protected, right? Like if you're, if the average of the number of people someone is going to infect is right at one, How that works out in practice is that most people infect zero people and some people infect 10, 15, 20. For measles, at least, that's how that works out. Uh, For COVID, it's likely similar. So when you have one of those events, then that's when you can see outbreaks of reasonable size, even though at the broad population level, you have herd protection. And so for SARS-CoV-2, like if we get below one, yeah, the epidemic will start to recede, but it will recede slowly. But we can get more immunity in the population, get more vaccination and make the disease go away quicker and have even more protection. So we're not just protected from big outbreaks, but those little outbreaks, we're also protected from those as well. 
And I think that gets us very nicely to talking about herd immunity and how it's kind of been set out as a benchmark, a goalpost in the pandemic. What did you make early on in the pandemic as you heard discussions of herd immunity as this goal that we would need to reach to bring the pandemic to an end? I think it was a useful idea in the sense that it gave us a sense of like how big the pandemic could get. And it gave us a sense of like how much vaccination once we had the vaccine, how much vaccination we would need to get things under control as a general benchmark. And I, and I think in that sense, it's helpful to have those ideas. But I think where it gets misused or misinterpreted is this idea that you aren't getting any help from vaccination and natural immunity until you reach that herd immunity threshold, which isn't true. Every little bit of immunity helps. And that once you meet that threshold, you know, somehow everything is magically okay and you don't have to worry anymore, which isn't true. You know, most epidemics or the classical epidemic has a bell-shaped curve. And th what that means is you have just as many cases on the downside as you do on the upside. And it's at that top point where things start going down, that's where you've reached herd protection. But you're still going to have as many cases going down if you just sort of go on as normal. So I think thinking about how we can prevent those cases on the downside and get more immunity in the population is important now that we're probably close to a point where we've tipped the scales in terms of herd immunity. And talk to me about what that kind of inflection point is. I feel like public health uh, officials like Dr. Anthony Fauci get asked repeatedly, what is this kind of magic number for herd immunity? And it's, it's a number that has changed over time. Uh, what is that kind of magic number for this pandemic? So it's changed and it's always changing for a number of reasons. So, so the first big change or one of the biggest changes is the um, B117 variant or sometimes called the UK variant which is more transmissible. Whereas we thought maybe 60 or 70% of the population would have been adequate before that variant came along, now that number is looking more like 80% of the population needs to be immune or maybe even a little more to have reached the herd protection threshold and to start seeing things going down. Uh, but that's starting to see things going down regardless of what we're doing. So that's one thing to keep in mind is, is the impact of immunity is synergistic with the control measures that we're taking to control the disease in other ways. So it's synergistic with mask wearing. It's synergistic with closing businesses or, or limiting occupancy. It's synergistic with just being careful about, you know, washing your hands and social interaction. So whereas you might need to have 80% of the population immune to start see, seeing things going down if no one was doing anything, if people are wearing masks and, you know, washing their hands and not going to restaurants and movie theaters and hordes, you can start seeing the numbers go down before you reach that threshold. This is, did you wash your hands? I'm Sam Whitehead talking today with Justin Lessler, an epidemiologist at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. 
about herd immunity and how to think about it in the context of the pandemic. Is there any kind of agreement in the public health community about how close to that threshold we actually are? I think there's general agreement that we're not quite there yet, that, you know, we are at a point that with control measures, it is possible to bring stuff down. I mean, in a way, that's not saying much. If you look at the cases and they are going down, which they are in the United States, if slowly, then you have reached the threshold of herd protection, given the other control measures in place. You know, I think in terms of how much immunity there is out in the population, there's a bit of debate in that. But most people at this point, I think, would agree that between vaccination and natural infection, we're probably over half the population immune now. But there might be some debate about exactly how far past half we are. We are having this conversation in the context of, I think, a little bit of a changing landscape when it comes to the value of thinking about herd immunity as a reachable goal. I know I was struck by a piece that ran in The New York Times this week that included interviews with lots of different uh, public health experts. Uh, The conclusion was maybe this isn't a goal that we can achieve here in this country, herd immunity. Do you think it is still a goal that we can reach? I think... It's something that'll happen. So in the sense that if you think about what's going on here is we have a mountain immunity we need for the virus to sort of start receding. And we can get there through vaccination and we can get there through natural infection. But even more so, if we don't get there through vaccination, natural infection is going to happen and it will get us there. You know, the virus is going to fill in the gaps of the immunity that we don't achieve through vaccination. We can reduce the amount that happens through, you know, other control measures. So that is one way in which we can, like, maybe get rid of the virus before we reach the threshold. But I do think that, like, we are going to achieve this number whether we want to or not. It's more of a question of how many people get sick and die along the way. You really are highlighting something there, this idea that now that we're in this stage of vaccination in this country where vaccines are still widely available, that other mitigation efforts like masking, like distancing still have value because, you know, vaccines alone are not going to prevent this pandemic from continuing. Yeah, I mean, they're our best tool, but they're not our only tool. So I think the more we can keep, you know, other measures in place until we get cases down to zero or close to zero, uh, the better and the more lives we save. I, You know, before we had the vaccine, taking part in social distancing, doing things to prevent infection, maybe felt a little bit like you were just delaying the inevitable, right? The virus would be, you know, continue to circulate. But now that we have the vaccine, you know, doing those things gives people time to get vaccinated and gives the population time to accumulate a lot of vaccine immunity and drive the virus viral levels down to zero. And some of those infections maybe can be permanently prevented or at least prevented for a long time. 
Herd immunity is not just a, a number you reach, it's a state that you have to maintain. So lay out for me the kind of road ahead. What are some of the challenges if we say, do reach this kind of saturation of some kind of immune protection of, of keeping that up over time? So there's two things that'll be, you know, battling against it or, or working against it. And one is just the fact new people are born and they're not born protected against the virus. So if we think of, uh, you know, a virus is needing fuel, kind of like a, a forest fire, right? That immunity is taking away that fuel, but new births into the population are adding to that fuel. And we need to make sure that kids, once the vaccine's approved for younger children, are getting vaccinated to maintain the levels of herd immunity as time goes on. So that's true for every virus we combat, right? Like it's a major problem for measles, for instance, because it's so transmissible, you have to make sure a lot of kids get vaccinated. The other thing we'll be battling against is the fact it's clear that this virus can evolve and it can probably evolve to escape our immunity. This is what happens with flu. You know, you. You have to get vaccinated every year against influenza, not because, you know, your immune system somehow like loses its strength or anything like that. It's because the virus is evolving to escape from your immune system. You know, that's how it stays alive. So we need to keep revaccinating to sort of stay on top of the virus and, and keep up with it for flu. It's not clear how fast that process is going to happen with COVID-19, but I think the early indications are that it will happen, which means that we will have to probably revaccinate people going forward to keep up with this evolving virus. I wonder too about this. Pandemics are not monolithic. We've seen over the course of the last year and a half here in the country some parts of the country seeing surges while transmission is lower in other parts of the country. I imagine that's going to be a challenge moving forward too, just the way that this virus moves through different populations that say uh, have different levels of immune protection. Absolutely. You know, there's pockets of um, what we call pockets of susceptibility, you know, people who can be infected based on places that have been missed by uh, the first waves of the pandemic through you know, either, you know, careful control measures or random chance. And there are places where people won't take the vaccine. It's not like, uh, you know, those people who refuse to take the vaccine are evenly distributed across the country. You know, there are populations that object for religious reasons or cultural reasons. And, you know, so those populations will remain uh, susceptible to that outbreaks in the future. In an alternate reality, was there ever a, a chance that we did as a country, as a, as a world community, really have the chance to reach herd immunity through our own means? Yeah. I mean, I think we're in that alternate reality, not, not in the smoothest way possible. You know, we, we haven't done great, I think, as a country, and, and many countries haven't done great in controlling the virus before the vaccine came along. But we got this vaccine faster than I think any of us would have hoped back in March. And not just that, but it's more effective 
than any of us would have hoped. And then by March, I mean March 2020. And it's more effective than any of us would have hoped then. You know, I remember, uh, I think it was a podcast I, w- I was on back then. And, you know, somebody said, you know, well, will we have a vaccine soon? And, I, you know, my response is like, I think we'll have a vaccine that does something, but we won't have the vaccine that is effective enough to solve everything. And I was wrong about that. The vaccines we have, these mRNA vaccines, are incredibly effective tools, and they are going to allow us to control this virus with relatively minimal amounts of other measures going forward once we get enough people vaccinated and providing enough people are willing to get vaccinated. So, yes, we could have gotten to this point with less stuff along the way, particularly once we knew the vaccine was coming, it would have been something we could have achieved to avoid those winter waves if we'd been willing to be more aggressive about control during that period. But, you know, the vaccine is the thing that is allowing us to overcome the virus through community immunity and Frankly, it's one of the most amazing accomplishments I've seen in my life. Justin Lessler is an epidemiologist at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Did You Wash Your Hands? is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. WABE's managing editor is Alex Helmick. Scott Wolfel is chief content officer. You can reach us at Wash your hands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app. That's also where you can leave us a rating and a review. That really helps other people find the show. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. donated to WABE yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. You can give at whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur-of-the-moment thing. You already get so much out of public radio, so just go for it. Visit wabe.org donate and become a member right now. And thank you.